Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, go ahead, if you have your Bibles or if you have a phone, turn to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be, Galatians 5. We are in a, uh, a Pentecost series. Yeah. And so specifically, we're placing a focus on the Holy Spirit. And all week long, I had this passage ringing in my mind. All week long, I had this passage. It's this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's all read this together. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I want to take this morning to specifically look at the freedom of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and we're going to begin in verse 13. Once you're there, go ahead and stand for the reading of Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think we're okay. <laughs> we'll not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. So I want to talk about this very specific ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, we've been, um, it's funny, I, I was trying, I've been trying every week to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, because that's what, when you do a Holy Spirit series, you think we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, all the controversial stuff from 1 Corinthians, you know, 12, 13, 14. Uh, and every week I try to write that message and the Lord's like, 
I do other things too. We're going to get there, but I do, uh, the Holy Spirit does other things as well. So I want to speak about the freedom of the Holy Spirit, the freedom uh, that God brings to people when they get the Holy Spirit. Now, a, a bit of a slight recap from the past couple of weeks. God wants to free you from the gods or from the Elohim's influence. If you're like, um, come again, go back and listen to last week's message. Uh, the reason why he wants to free you from the other gods of the world is because those gods are uncreating gods. They are gods of Babel, and they force in your life endless production and sacrifice, under, and they under-deliver identity and peace. And here are the very practical results of their uncreation in the lives of every human. Bondage. Emotional, mental bondage, spiritual bondage, addiction, anxiety, fear. Now, when I said specifically at St. Hill, if I was preaching at, at a different church, I may not give this caveat. But specifically here, when I said I'm going to talk about freedom, some of your eyes glazed over. Because what else do we talk about around here? What else do we talk about around here than freedom? And because these other words of, of anxiety and fear and addiction and bondage have become sort of overused and trite, let me just give you a few descriptions of what I'm talking about. So close your eyes for a moment. I want you to imagine three different people. And maybe you'll even find yourself described as well. I want you to imagine a young woman. She's a recent college grad and she's in her first big job. And through the stress of life, she has begun to self-medicate on social media once the workday is over. All the images which she finds comfort in for a moment portray a life that she doesn't have and may never have. And while there's a flash of entertainment, it comes at the cost of jealousy. She enjoys the people of God, God's word, and his presence, but her fear of not having the life that she wants seems to war against her commitment to God so that she doesn't really trust God. And she is left with believing God really isn't that good. And there is a constant anxiety that pervades her whole life. I want you to imagine a man in his 30s. He loves his family, his wife, and children. He works hard and he provides a good home. He's well respected, but no one knows his inner world is in turmoil. He's a narcissist and he knows it. He's manipulated his household to work for him. He knows the right words to use in public to pass the Christian sniff test, but he worries that if people knew of his sex addiction or his use of alcohol or any of the myriad of thoughts that he has, they would be disgusted. So better to hide than be seen. I want you to imagine, lastly, a couple in their 60s. Their kids are estranged from them, and political talk has only put more division between them over the past four years. They believe God will restore their relationship with their children, but they are completely terrified that the ideologies of the culture have an unbreakable grip on their children. Their fear only increases the tension when in conversation with their kids, and they wonder what happened to the sweet love they used to share when they were raising them. They are filled with a strange mixture of moral crusade and regret. So let me just say the core of this message again. You were called to be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
But as you've seen in each of these cases, there's another force at work, and it's the law of the flesh. The flesh is the problem. See, one of the great tensions described by the New Testament is the war between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. We even see it right here in this passage. You know, live by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But this tension is probably no better shown than in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter 8. So I know last week was a lot of Bible study. So is this week. Are you ready to be awake? Say yes, I'm ready to be awake. Okay. So turn to the left in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to begin this study of the law of the Spirit and the law of the flesh. And, you know, I've wanted to preach on this for years. I remember talking to Jack Ammon about this like five years ago, and I've never specifically preached on it. So we're really going to do Romans 7 justice today. I promise you that. Um, So Romans chapter 6, this is going to get a little detailed and psychoanalytical, especially into Paul's mind. So hang in there. There's going to be payoff, I promise, okay? Now, we're jumping into the middle of a letter, which is always a tad risky, but we're jumping in the middle of a letter with a context, and the context is this. Paul is writing about what salvation is. What does it mean to be saved? What were you saved from, and what are you saved to? And he's speaking specifically to this church in Rome, but this has become a hallmark letter that has meant immense, uh, had immense meaning for churches down through history. So Paul writing says this in chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Everybody say, live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know... That our old self, everybody say old self, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, say ruled by sin, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, what is he talking about? Well, Paul is making this point, and the point that he's making is that if somebody dies, they're no longer under any laws. The traffic laws don't apply to them. No laws apply to them because they're dead, okay? And what Paul is saying is you spiritually died. So you are no longer under the written code. No laws for you. There's no rules for you anymore. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. Skip to Romans chapter 7, verse 4. It says this, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. He's reiterating this point that you might belong to another Everybody say, belong to another. Who is this another? Well, it's to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying, baptism, To what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Everybody say written code. Okay. So, 
he's comparing essentially two possible lived realities for everybody who calls themselves a believer. One is a reality where there is a code. There's a system or a, a group of rules that owns you. And the other possible lived reality is this new life in the spirit where you belong to another. You belong to him. And he's claiming that you no longer live in the flesh or by the code. You live by the spirit. In other words, you don't live your life according to rules. If you're a Christian, you do not live your life according to rules. However, I know you grew up in the church and you somehow got to believe that being a Christian was about living your life according to a set of moral principles. It is not. You do not live according to rules. You live your life according to belonging. It's belonging. What does he say right here? He says, so my brothers and sisters, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. You belong to God, so you live a certain way. You need to get this into your head. Because you belong to God, you actually live a certain way. See, we grew up, I grew up in, in a church that said, you do things good Christian things so that you show you belong to God. But the reality is that you belong to him so that you live a certain way. And if you aren't living that certain way, then you really need to ask the question, do I really understand what it means to belong to another? Or is there a written code in my life that I've been living into? So you can either have a relationship to rules or you can have a relationship with a person. And here's the, here's the spiritual secret. When you come into Christ, you get to choose. When you come into Christ, you get to choose. That's what we're going to get into. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, perhaps you say, I don't have a written code. I don't have a code at all. I don't have a law. Land of the free, baby. But there you'd be wrong. You may not have a written Jewish code like Paul had, but every person... You may not even, I'll say this, you may not even have a written code like many who grew up in the evangelical church or the Catholic church have. But every person has a personalized code that has been taking shape and developing for their entire life. Everyone has a system. Each person in this room, we all have a system. We have a way of dealing with the pain, with the grind of life, with the need for identity. We all have a way of coping. We'll just call it cope. And that system of getting identity, that system of getting value, that system of getting worth is always based in the flesh. And let me say this. You're going to have to say no to that system just like Paul had to say no to his. What, what, am I, what do I mean? What am I getting at? What is the flesh? Well, this could get a little bit, of, bit complex and, and kind of interesting because we are really comparing this Jewish law to this kind of our own creation of a, of a moral system in our life today since most of us are not Jewish and didn't grow up with a Jewish law. So, so let me try to synthesize this down for you a little bit. The law of the flesh. What is the law of the flesh? It's the, this was the law of the flesh for Paul and it's the law of the flesh for us. It is about trying to use external means to solve internal problems. If you're taking notes, you should probably write that down. The law of the flesh is about trying to use external means or organizing your external world to make up for an internal problem or an internal lack that you have. Your system, whatever it is, is flesh 
trying to solve the problem of flesh. It's I do things that are contrary to God, and I need a solution to that, so I'll take care of it. I'll do something about that. Don't worry, God, I got this. See, next slide. For Paul, the flesh is a technical way that, of, that represents the way of life before coming into Christ. And it is a life dominated by trying to get significance outside of dependence on God. You should just take a picture of that. That's pretty important. For Paul, the flesh is a technical way that re- represents the life, the way of life before coming into Christ. And it is a life dominated by trying to get significance outside of dependence on God. This slide is so messed up because I, did, I had no sermon at 8 p.m. last night. So this is like a, a, a midnight slide. There you go. The first example of the flesh that we ever see, like give me a, give me a hard uh, example. The first example of the flesh that we ever see is Eve looking at the fruit. And what does she do? It's pleasing to the what? I. She looks at it, she goes, well, that looks pretty good. It's desirable. I I, I desire its wisdom. I could gain wisdom from that. And this is the temptation for all humans. Will you try to get the life that God offers you apart from knowing him? Now, the Jewish version of this was the law. For my wife and any other Hebrew scholar out there, this was not the original intention of the law, okay? The law is not just unequivocally bad, but this is what the law became, People use the law as a method to prove their goodness, as a method to achieve identity within their community and their subculture, which is why the message of Jesus, when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you have to give up all of the ways that you've been creating and building identity for yourself, all the ways that you have been showing that you're valuable amongst your peers, you're going to have to surrender all of that. It's why he's so offensive to those who live by the code. And this is what Paul is getting at. The flesh is about playing God as a mortal. It's about self-determination. Maybe it isn't religious for some of you. Maybe you're like, yeah, the religious part of that doesn't really resonate for me. But here's your code. It's your money. It's your job. It's your connections. They all speak to who you are. They say something about you. And make no mistake, it's a system that you are serving. It's a flesh system. You're working for identity. You know, Rocky Balboa, at one point, he's asked, why do you do what you do? Why do you train so hard? Why do you work so much? And he says, to prove I'm not a bum. You thought he just enjoyed boxing. No, no, this is identity stuff. (laughs) This is identity stuff. It's to show I'm really somebody. He has a system. You know, for others, perhaps it is religious. And I think this is a temptation specifically in a community like this. You get identity. Your system comes from the more you're known at church or the more you serve at church or the more people who know you're gifting or the more you know the right people in a church, the more secure you feel. And it is a flesh system. The flesh attempts to have a full life outside of submission to God. And the problem for Christians is that many of them, you know, most of us in the room, we're pretty good when it comes to orgies. We don't really struggle very much with orgies. Fits of rage, it's like, eh, I get mad sometimes, but fits of rage, I don't know. That's not, it's not a fit, really. (laughs) Although I do have fits of rage sometimes. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of true. 
what happens is that a lot of the flesh stuff, it's like, you kind of have figured out, but here's the problem. You revert to the code. You revert to your old identity system. And then your flesh system is competing with what the spirit wants to do in your life. And this, my friends, that tension, that's what's being described in Romans 7. You always wondered. That's what's going on in Romans chapter 7. It's the problem of having a relationship with a code when you have been purchased by a man. And that's what makes this tension so maddening. So watch what happens. Uh, Skip down to verse 9. Paul begins to describe this. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, when the code came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. And here's the death that he's talking about. You're like, what does that exactly mean for you, Paul? Well, here's the death. And trust me, it sounds like death. Skip down to verse 15. He, said, he describes what this is like, to have a code that he's trying to live up to. I do not understand what I do, for I want to do, uh, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, as it, is it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, uh, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. That grammatically is death. Holy cow. Verse 21. (laughs) So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, many have read this, and they've parsed it out. And they have found great comfort in these passages. Because I think it's felt like a weight off of their shoulders. It's like, oh, if Paul had that that tension going on, then... Surely it's fine that my whole life is basically described in Romans chapter 7. Because that's been their Christian experience. By the way, that's been my Christian experience at times. And so maybe we conclude that's the way that it should be. Let me just say this. The tension between what God wants and what the flesh wants happens because Paul is speaking of a time where he was in relationship with the law instead of with a person. He's describing what it's like to live under a code, what it's like to strive to get ahead, what it's like to, to, to work for identity. That's the description. So here's the thing. I believe that Christ died for more than people living their whole lives in tension between a code and their flesh. 
And so does Paul, actually. One could think, you know, reading Romans chapter 7, that this is the normative experience of every disciple. It's moral struggle. It's turmoil. It's a battle between what your body wants and what God wants. And so you've sanctified the struggle. You've begun to believe. That's what it means to be a Christian. But that would only be your conclusion if you didn't read on to Romans chapter 8. See, Romans chapter 7 ends with a question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And many Christians have read, man, that's a good word, man. I don't know. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Who will rescue me from the flesh, from the code, from the tension? And there were no chapter breaks in Paul's original letter. So let's read. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. How beautiful. There is no code. There is no set of rules. There is no working for identity with this. Verse 3, says this, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, there's no way. You have whatever code you want to have. You want to have the Jewish code. You want to have the Catholic code. You want to have the evangelical code. You want to have the money code. You want to have the success code. There's no code that's really going to, you're going to be able to complete. There's no code that you'll, ladder that you'll really be able to climb. There is no code that you complete and it gives you what you're really looking for. Weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on, or live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit does. Pay attention, verse six. The mind governed by the flesh, it's death. And we just saw that, by the way, in chapter seven. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God now, this is the kicker. This is so good. You, however, are not, everybody say not, in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Could he be any more clear? He gave a, de a definition in Romans chapter 7 of life in the flesh and life with the code and life struggle. And then he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. In other words, this experience is not normative. It should not be your norm. See, the gospel is right here in this passage, and it's so good. What sets the message of Christ apart from any other religion, from any other way, is this. You are not enough. You see those signs around town? You're enough. I always go, no, I'm not. <laughs> you are not enough. You are not full. You are morally lacking. You are slowly being uncreated. And all of your attempts to solve that problem that you know deep down inside, no matter how many yard signs you see, you will not solve the problem of the gap between who you really are and who God has said you could be. And all of your attempts to solve it have broken you with the weight of self-righteousness. The code kills. 
But the good news is this. Here's the message of the gospel. Jesus lived the life that you could not live. He declared that it is finished. The search for personal glory through a system is over. And he gave you his spirit to birth you again so that you do not live through effort, but you live by the power of God. And I love this. Look back down at your Bibles, verse 11. This is so good. Verse 11 says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that's just, that's, not, that's crazy. If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. Mike, you're going to like this. Imagine yourself as a gas-powered vehicle. And there comes an opportunity for you to get a different kind of engine, an electric engine. And so you drive yourself into the auto, the auto shop, and they you know, put you up on a hoist, and they take out your gas engine, and they give you an electric engine. It's a whole new operating system change. That's what it means to be born again. You got an electric spirit. You had a gas guzzler and it was struggling all your life. And now you got a new kind of engine. So here's my question. To, it's dumb, but you'll remember it. Here's my question to you. If you've been born again, you know, you're here and you're like, I'm a born again believer. If you're a born again believer, does your life look more like Romans chapter 7 or like Romans chapter 8? Because that will tell you what you're living under. The law of the flesh or the law of the spirit. Perhaps now would be a good time to ask this very, very pointed question that Paul asked the Galatian church. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Did you get an electric engine and yet you're still stopping by the old gas pump? I think many people, they, they get set free by God. They're like, I thought Christians lived by rules, but I got the Holy Spirit in me, and it's God's vitality just coursing through my body. And so I'm choosing his ways, and I'm finding wisdom, and he's blessing my life, and he, and he healed my body, and he's, he's giving me emotional and mental health, and I'm just, I'm so free. But then life gets difficult and things happen and time goes by and somebody rubs you the wrong way at church or you know, that guy Alex keeps preaching and you're like, I don't know, and you waver and you return to the way of the flesh, to your old operating system of significance because even though it might kill you, even though there's constant tension, at least it's predictable. And it was the unpredictability of God's demand for surrender in your life that kept the power of the Spirit going, you're like, this guy keeps on talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. How? 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 It's like, when did, you, when did he ask you to surrender and you said no? Because that's when you stopped experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you began to live it by the flesh. And then you come to church and you're like, I think this is all fake. Because you know what? You don't feel the Holy Spirit anymore because you said no. You said no. And so there's no wonder you went back to your old operating system 
Here's the secret. Here's the secret to the Spirit-filled life. You want the freedom of the Holy Spirit? You must surrender to the Holy Spirit, and you must stay in step with the Holy Spirit. And the dove on the shoulder, guys, you know, I I gave this uh, metaphor of, you know, when Jesus, he was baptized, he came up out of the water. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, and it says in, 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 uh, in the Bible, it says, there it remained. I like to imagine Jesus walking throughout his entire life with a dove on his shoulder, constantly checking in. Are we healing this person? Okay, no, we're going over here. Are we doing this? Yeah, we're doing that. That's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Are we going over here? Constantly yielding to the Spirit. I'm telling you right now, that is more unpredictable than the code that you have developed and lived with your whole life. But that's where the power is. There is a way to remain in control with the law, whereas with the Spirit, it is a complete loss of control. It is love-fueled life, not will-fueled life. And I just got the sense this week, this is me, I'm preaching to my, every week I'm preaching to myself, but specifically this week, there are many of us who are trying to live out a spiritual life by our flesh, and so we are limited. And we keep bumping our head on the ceiling of our limit, of the the power of our will, and we keep getting frustrated going, why, 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 why does it look like Romans 7? Why does my life look like Romans 7? Where is the freedom? Where is the power that you promised? But when you say, Jesus, I love you, Holy Spirit, I love you, and I just want to do it your way. In other words, I'll surrender my preferred future to you. I would love to use my gifts in this way, God. I'd love to have this kind of life and buy these things and live this way and know these people. And I'd love for me to be used this way by you. When you give up all of that crap and you start saying, God, I actually want you no matter what comes in my life. I want to follow your Holy Spirit no matter what it produces for me. You are my reward more than anything that you could do in my life. When you do that, the power of the, that's the spirit-filled life. And you will stop bumping your head on the ceiling of your willpower, and the Spirit will be free to do things in His power. In His power. Suddenly, more than you asked for, more than you thought about, even more than what you dreamed about when you were bored at work that you wouldn't dare tell anybody about, begins to happen. Because it's not, the the scriptures say God will do more than what you ask, think, or imagine. It doesn't say you will do more than what you ask, think, or imagine when you come to church and you intellectually agree with theology. No, it, it's, it's he, will do, he will do more than what you ask, think, or you imagine, but you have to stop living off your own willpower and your own ability. You must start saying, but I'm only doing what you would have me do, Holy Spirit. I'm living with the dove on my shoulder. And when that happens, when you do that, Fruit of the Spirit. Flip back to Galatians chapter 5. Let's end here. It says this in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. This is just a description of freedom right here. It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's gentleness and self-control. And notice what he says. Oh, isn't it interesting? Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Guys, fruit is not tried for. It's not systematized and it's not codified. Fruit comes from a relationship with the Spirit. It's natural. And God is saying to us as a church, you are free to the degree these beautiful characteristics are present. 
but you do not try to get fruit. They are evidence of surrender to the Holy Spirit because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you who want full surrender to the Holy Spirit. It's a big leap. It's a big jump because you're going to sacrifice your preferred future and all that life could afford you to be tied to the dove. But then, more than you ask, think, or imagine. Let's stand together. Okay, um, if you want this, and I really mean this, if you want to fully surrender to the Holy Spirit, you're really there. Don't, don't do this, by the way, if you don't. Because I really think that one of the places where, where we get hung up is we, we say, you know, God, um, you can have it all. But we don't actually mean it. And I think he would rather have our honesty of, you can have some of me. He'll work with that. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. So he'd rather have that than all. Or he'd rather have that than you lying about giving him all. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. If you really do want to enter that life, that life of freedom, that life of the Spirit, would you just put your hands out in front of you? And this is the symbol. I love this symbol because what it is is it's saying, I'm going to let go of the code I've been living with so that I can receive the life of the Spirit that you have for me. So God, for those who really want this today, I thank you for their honesty and their courage, God. And I ask that you would take their code you would take the, their means of significance, the ways that they've been living to be somebody. And would you give them your power? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.